This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. And we're live. Hey, welcome back. Here we are to another episode of the the Sober Sober Life Audio Experience. experience. Dun 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 dun. dun, dun. What's up, Roman? Hey, what's up, Bri? Hey, it's another beautiful Wednesday. It sure is, man. We've got an amazing guest. Yes, we do. Talented guest. Yeah. Incredible guest. Who? Who's our guest? The phenomenal, the one, the the only, Kirsten Johnson. Hey! <laughs> and the crowd goes wild. So happy to be here with you guys. What's up, yes. person? World traveler. What? Transformational coach. Yes, speaker, is. activist, author, all of Whoa. the above. He's on it. Yeah, Dang, that was a good. That was a good intro. Yeah, how'd that right? sound? That was really good. <laughs> Not too bad. Yeah, I'm no, on my was, way. That was one of our better ones. Vegas, <laughs> Vegas, yeah. here I come. Hey, watch out, <laughs> Vegas. Yeah. So, Kirsten. Welcome. Welcome to our show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's really good to be here. Yeah, no doubt. So before we start our show with guests, we always we have this ritual, if you will. Yikes. And it's it, it's kind of like foreplay to the, the actual podcast. And we start off by asking you three very, very special questions. Are you ready? Eek. <laughs> so we'll say yeah. I'll try. All yeah. right, cool. Rough. So, question number one: mm-hmm. What is your vision? Ooh. Yeah. Mm. Mm. My vision is to help create a world where we all can get free. Mm. Okay. Specifically from childhood trauma, uh, I see that as the the route to um, other symptoms. Symptoms being addiction mental health issues. Yeah. So getting free from uh, the root of what's really causing stuff. Mm. Right. I love that. Nice. And I'm I think that it. there's uh, we're going to get into that. I can tell today. Definitely yeah. getting into the root. <laughs> the root and branch gets to get plucked. Yeah. Uh, thank you. So question number two. What do you love? What do you love? What do you love? Mm. You know, it's funny. I wouldn't have thought I would answer this, but I want to go with myself. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it took a long time to get here. Yeah. So you love you. I do, yeah. It's been a long road. Is this a new development? Uh, I'd say, so I'm eight years sober. I'd say around five years sober is when I realized that I didn't and when I really got down into radical self-love. Okay. And we're going to, I can tell, get yeah, into we're that today. We're definitely going there. And I love watching YouTube videos, and I love traveling, and I love road trips, and I love exploring new countries. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> tell, we'll give, where did you just come back in from? I was living in Bali for, Bali, Indonesia for three years. Nice. Yeah. Shout out Bali. Excellent there we surf. Go. Yeah. Excellent surf. Yes. Good. Yes. Cool. Well, question number three. One book that has greatly impacted or shaped your life. Oh, one. Just one. Hmm. I know this is the hardest one. There's three that come to mind, but if I have to pick one, it's Power of Now. Absolutely. Power of Now. Yeah. Eckhart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it Toll or Tolly? I say Tolly. Okay. You can say Toll. I, I like saying Tolly too. <laughs> 
It's just nice. It rolls off. I'm a tall tongue. guy. Yeah, you are. Yeah, I say tall. <laughs> yeah, you are. As long as yeah. we're in the moment. Yeah. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> yeah, right. Power of now. Yeah, that's an excellent book. Damn. Okay. Yeah. So we've got self-love. We've got power of now, Eckhart Tolle. We've got showing people and, and helping them see and get past childhood trauma so that they can be free. We've got an action-packed episode. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a journey. So yeah, (laughs) so hold on tight, guys. So let's uh, maybe start with a little bit about where you're from and some background with you and and how that and how that came about. You're eight years sober, so uh, we know that you drank and did a little bit of drugs, maybe back in the day. Yes, I love alcohol. Ah, okay. Where uh, did you grow up in the U.S. or? I'm from Northern California, so I grew up in Marin, right outside of San Francisco. And then lived uh. in San Francisco right out of high school. Okay. Shout out the Bay Area. Did a quick stint in L.A. for grad school. Went to UCLA. Go Bruins. Okay. And uh, back to San Francisco. And that was it. California always. And then I went on a vacation to Bali and was like, oh, my God, I'm moving here. <laughs> and then I moved to Asia for three years. Nice. I, I thought you were going to say I did a quick stint in the Tenderloin for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, my my stint was at the rave. I was okay. real oh. big into the rave in the '90s. Yeah, and okay. all that happened there. Mm, okay, the so you were scene. starting out having a lot of fun, raving like city girl. What what like feeling the music? Yeah, and like like wasn't it just a great time? Or like did you like what made you realize there was something that was not working there? Uh, well, what was working there is the the rave was like my first meditation. Okay. Because okay. I had a lot going on upstairs in my thinking. And uh, when I would go and dance to music, it would completely shut off my thoughts. I would connect with the music in such a way that there was no thoughts. Right. And it would literally be, I mean, I would dance alcoholically in a way because I would start dancing at 10 p.m., 11 p.m. And I'd be the last one on the dance floor every single time begging the DJ for one more track. <laughs> at like 6 in the morning, 7 in the morning. And it was like it was like I was the dance. It wasn't, you know, I don't know how I had the energy. I would just go. And I loved it. So yeah. it was like your little escape. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Without drugs, without drinking, it was like just me and the music. That's incredible. And then the ecstasy came and just like took it to the next level or what? That was the next level, yes, yes. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) Yeah, the slow progression, sometimes fast. Yeah. Yeah. um, So part of my story is that there was uh, sexual abuse when I was a kid. Mm. And so that led for um, a lot of intense emotions and uncomfortable emotions when that was happening. And then once it stopped, when I was about 13, when I finally was able to say no, mm-hmm. uh, I withdrew. I retreated. I became very, very awkward and afraid of people and shy. Yeah. And then when I was 16, I had my first beer and was like, wow. You yeah. know, it was everything that I wanted. Like alcohol gave me exactly what I wanted, which was to be popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all of a sudden I was hanging out with all the cool kids. I love that. I went from this really awkward person to like this really cool person, like pretty much overnight. And, um, like when I drank, I got tall, I got beautiful, like all these things. I literally grew eight inches after my first beer, like in almost in six months. It was like, I was a different person Yeah, and I loved it. And then I became too cool for my high school buddies. Well, not really, but like, I, uh, I felt like the people in San Francisco were, were more cool, like at the Rays. Me and some of my high school friends, we'd sneak out on school nights and we'd go rave all night and then go to the school in the next morning, a little bit tired. (laughs) Right. Right. So... Would you, would you say that when you had that first sip of alcohol, like you felt like at comf- like comfortable? Yeah, it it basically it closed the door on a basement, of, like an abyss of shame and an adequacy. 
Right. Yeah, the uncomfortable feelings that I didn't know how to manage from the trauma, for sure. Yeah. It saved my life. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah, and I mean, like, doesn't it do that for so many of us, right? Like, it, like alcohol got me through some of the, like, most painful times I've ever lived. I don't mm-hmm. know what I would have done without it, you know? Yeah. And then finding its cousins, you know, <laughs> and, and it's evil cousins, and, and its uncles and yeah. aunts, you know, the extended family, the extended yeah, yeah. family, uh-huh. you know, just took took it that much further. And you know, I've I've had the the privilege of hearing you share, um, actually, specifically in regards to sex and dating, and how a lot of that early childhood trauma had an impact on you in relationships later on. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Do you care to speak into that a little bit and how like maybe alcohol and drugs either helped you, hindered you, you know, got you where it got you like with with dating, with relationships and what you ended up realizing about men as well? Yeah, um, there's so many places I can go. Uh, What I didn't say is for so the sexual abuse happened when I was like teenager, you know, like 10, 11, 12. And then um and then I ended up getting sexually assaulted in my dorm room when I was 18. So that played into it, too, by my boyfriend's best friend. He raped me. Mm-hmm. And Oof. and that led me into a depression and dropping out of school. Like, I couldn't handle that. And whew, it makes me nervous. Um, and then from there, like, something twisted in my head, and I needed it in order to feel safe. Like, and it's when hindsight's twenty twenty. Like, I can look right. back and be like, oh, that's what happened. But I didn't know it at the time. I just I was in San Francisco, and I like to wear leather, and— and I got into bondage and like that was my scene, like okay. going out to these clubs and and I needed to be in control in the bedroom. Like that mm-hmm. was the thing. Like that's not what I mentioned before. Yeah. But that it was very much I could see now that it was um, it was based upon fear. It wasn't I did like it, but it was more because um, I needed to be in charge because mm. I had been traumatized. Got right. Keeping myself safe. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, in sobriety, I didn't realize this was something I had never heard. I still have never heard anybody else talk about. But I had – so then I – after I dropped out of college, I worked for five years and then I went back to college and I went – then went to grad school. Right. The Bruin thing. Yeah. UCLA. <laughs> yeah. Statistics. We'll all right. A little yeah. math nerd. Uh-huh, yeah. Stats. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. I, I love that about you, yeah. by the way. I think that's so cool. <laughs> math um, yeah. Uh, so then um, I'm kind of the outlier in the stats department, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, I was the blonde. That's I was outside, the woman. Outside yeah. the bell curve, right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> totally. Um, one of my classmates in grad school sexually assaulted me week of finals. And it was when I was asleep. I think this is what I shared. And I woke up to it happening. And again, I thought I could trust him. And um, we had been up all night working on our papers. And so then I... Uh, we went to, to together. We were buddies, and we went to school and dropped him off together. I dropped him off in the department, and then he asked if he can use my bathroom when he was dropping me off. I said, sure, no big. I mean, he was there all night long studying. Yeah. It was noon. The next day, we hadn't slept. And so he goes to the bathroom, and I pass out face down, and I wake up, and he's um, he's masturbating on me, basically. He's mm, getting being off. weird. Yeah, yeah, um, sexually assaulting me. Yeah. Mm. And um, so I never, I did what I always did, you know, which was I just never talked to him again, and yeah. I didn't tell anyone, and I got drunk. Yeah. You know, and that's just how I, like, like just act like it, just keep going, like, F that, keep it going. It was your coping yeah. mechanism. Yeah, and it's, um, I mean, that's my biggest message for people who have been sexually assaulted, and it's a lot of us. You know, it's one in four girls by 18 and one in six boys by 18. 
And it's estimated that a third of Americans have been sexually assaulted. And most of us are probably not talking about it. And acting like it didn't no. happen doesn't make it go away. Right. It all. makes mental health happen. It, it, mental illness happen or like yeah. wanting to drink happen. And so um, – yeah, after that, I didn't realize it. That was in, I think, 2006 so or 2005. I didn't know it, but that set in a PTSD of sleeping in a room mm. with anybody near me, mm-hmm. a man, mm-hmm. not like a friend or a sister or something. Yeah. And so I didn't – I mean that's interesting to live with that without knowing it. So now, now I'm like afraid to like be around people. I'm afraid to get close to people. I'm afraid to fall asleep next to you. Like, right. But I don't even want you to know it. Right. <laughs> right. And so when I was still drinking, like the alcohol kind of curbed some of that fear and I was still yeah. getting in relationships and had boyfriends and stuff. But then right. I got sober and I was deathly afraid and I had no idea. Like mm-hmm. I just didn't know that that's – what was under the hood right. right? because it didn't doesn't matter because I would think about like he's not worth my attention and my time let's forget about it let's bury yeah. it but when it's buried you can't really bury shame and have it go away it festers yeah. inside you and it's toxic yeah another thing too is that like that entire time that you're using alcohol and dancing and other things <laughs> to kind of avoid the pro- like the problems don't diminish over time right. like they, they stay exactly the same mm-hmm and eventually it's going to creep its little head out and cause some major problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So then I got sober and I was uh, in a new rela- – I was starting to get into a new relationship where it was looking like it might be that way. Real quick, I want to interject. Uh, something comes up for me right there is is what – was there something specific that had you like work your way into getting sober? Because it's like – yeah, yeah. Like, let's oh, go there. Not like, on the relationship. Well, Conti- well, let's let's just pause there and okay. like you went from like not sober to sober. Yeah. So like, did something happen what to like thing? have you realize like I need to get sober? For sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's talk. Yeah. About let's that. go. Because we always yeah. like talking about those moments. Yeah. Especially with this podcast, because a lot of people <gasps> get to like connect with that moment. For almost all of our guests, like, what was it that like had you really realize like finally? Like, it's time for me to get something. <laughs> totally. Um, okay, so, I mean, I was drinking a lot, and, and basically my mental health problems were just, like, piling up, and the trauma right. was piling up, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and harder and harder and harder to mask and keep under. I got in a car accident, sober, and then a panic attack on the freeway, like, a month later, and then I had a driving PTSD, so now I'm afraid to drive on a freeway. Wow. It flew off the I-5 at 70 miles per hour in a rainstorm and went to the other lane and it was crazy. Mm. Uh, and so then now I have a PTSD with and – and so I go to the psychiatrist like any good soon-to-be-sober woman. <laughs> right. Hey, uh, I, ha- I had a panic attack. I'm having panic attacks and I'm afraid to drive. And he's like, how much do you drink? I'm like, nothing. Twice a week. Two drinks twice a week. Yeah. And so uh, long story short, he um, prescribed meds for somebody that wasn't – me because I was in diso- I was dishonest, mm. and so he put me on clonopin, like which is the uh, benzodiazepine, yeah. which is yeah. very similar to the chemical makeup of alcohol. Alcohol. So yeah. now I'm taking that twice a day. I think in my delusion that I'm taking it to treat this thing, but really I haven't been honest about the nature of what I'm doing, right. or, what, or not the nature, but what I'm doing, my behavior. So um, yeah, it all snowballed. Then the anxiety, it all just kept getting worse, and then I got traumatized again. I got. Um, <laughs> Swear it's a happy story, guys. I know it's some sad stuff, but I ended up I got raped on a work trip when I was thirty one or thirty two. Okay. And um and that and it was in England, it was in London, and I got flown home early with a coworker. And my boss ended up telling um many of the uh, of the executive team. 
And yeah. so and then he warned me Monday when I go back to work, he warns me, he says they all know. And so now I'm giving presentations at work. For the, uh, I'm a director of the analytics team because I have the stats you right, know, thing right, behind yeah, me and now yeah. I'm working for a startup. Bruins. And I'm giving – exactly the Bruins. Yeah. And I'm giving these presentations at work and I'm starting to have panic attacks while I'm looking around the room at all the executives. And I'm like, who, they all do well, they all know Oof. about the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Like, oh my god, what's going – and then I, I'm not thinking and I and, – Yeah, uh, it's got to be rough. And that's when the morning drinking came in. Uh, right? Mm. Because now sometimes if I know I have a presentation at work, then I'd freak out or I'd take an extra Xanax or try to figure out how can I not freak out at work. Right. And what I realize now is that um, somebody who was maybe not mentally ill or didn't have alcoholism might actually switch jobs. Yeah. Right? right. So what I knew yeah. was what, what I knew was um, survive, stay and survive Cope. because that's right. how I grew up. Cope. Just make it work. Yeah. Right. So I was trying to make it work, but it wasn't working. It was It was actually really traumatic for me to be around those people and be like – Right. You know, then I have flashbacks of the, the trauma and I'm like, do they, you know? Wow. So, um, so yeah, so morning drinking started and, um, well, that doesn't make for a good employee. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. No. I was a really good employee though. Like I had a lot of brilliant ideas there and I, um, you know, like one of my ideas increased revenue the first year alone, $3 million for a $50 wow. million dollar company. Like right. I, I was really good at data and stats. While yeah. you were drinking? Yeah. So yeah. you were f- a functioning, yeah, alcoholic. In that, in, in respect, yes. in respect to um, what I, the contribution I could, yeah, yeah, my performance at work. Okay, yeah, maybe not my relationships, mm. you know, at work, but definitely my performance at work as far as money, getting stuff done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about your relationships outside of work during that time? Um. I'd say, I mean, I had a boyfriend through the end of it all, like through, I had a, I was dating someone for three years and in the middle of that three years is when I went to rehab. Okay. So that's what happened. You went to rehab. Yeah. 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 Well, what happened is that all the, I I hear what you're saying. What happened is all the drinking and the trauma all compiled and became this huge thing. And then um, further progressed the drinking to the morning to having you having like more work issues. There was this significant event that happened in your thirties. It sounds like in England, like it just all kind of compiled. Yeah. And I didn't have any way to deal with any of it. I wasn't telling anybody about any of it. I was just drinking Uh, and taking the the Xanax. So, or the Klonopin. Um, So then I got, I got laid off. We had, Six rounds of layoffs at my company, and in the sixth round, I actually got laid off too. It was like a sinking ship startup, right? Uh. And so I got laid off, and um, then there was about a month or three or four weeks between when I got laid off and when I went to rehab. And those – I would not wish those weeks on anyone. Ugh. Those were like, is it 7 a.m.? Is it 7 p.m.? It doesn't matter. I need to drink. <sighs> like it wow. was – my anxiety was so bad. I just like – I mean I was agoraphobic. Yeah. I was afraid to leave the house unless, yeah. it, unless it was for alcohol. Yeah. And it- even that was like – and then did you make the decision to go to rehab? <laughs> yeah. I had a moment where I looked in the mirror and I knew I was dying. Yeah. Where I looked, I saw an empty shell and it was like, if my spirit's aflame, it was like it was flickering and it was about to go out. Barely. Yeah. Mm. And I looked in the mirror and I was just like, oh, I'm dying. Mm-hmm. And because I'm an alcoholic, so what do I do? I stop looking in mirrors. Right. <laughs> right. Break them all. Hide all no the mirrors. mirrors. Yeah. A week later is when I um, when a friend 12-stepped me and got me into rehab. Ah. I was in a blackout, and I kind of came out of the blackout, signed up for rehab. Nice. Yeah. Hey. I was like, that's dramatic. Hey, if you're listening to this and you have friends that need help, maybe uh, get them in a blackout and then yeah. sign them up. Huh? Seems right. like it was effective. Yeah, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I knew alcohol was a problem. I didn't know, I had no idea. I always thought 
something was broken in my head and that it was something was fundamentally wrong with me, but I mm-hmm. had no idea what it was. Yeah. And I wasn't going to talk about it with anyone. Nobody knew I was on the meds. Nobody knew I was drinking the way I drank. Nobody wow. knew about – nobody knew that I was scared of living. That had to be very lonely. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And it like, kind of plays into that old adage of like your secrets keep you sick. You yeah. Know? But it sounds like you were willing, at least on some subconscious level, if you were to sign up and actually go to treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had told a couple people I was going, so it was pride that kind of got me in the door at the end. I was like, wait, my brother, my friend, Uh, the neighbor knows. Good old pride. Yeah. Yeah. And then day one of rehab, it's people were saying that they did the same thing. There was the me too. Yeah. 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 I was like, oh, wait, this is a thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's a certain comfort in that too. Yeah. Being with like-minded individuals who have similar experiences. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you went in, you got sober. How old were you? 33. 33. So this was like two years ago? Was yeah. It a year ago? <laughs> so I'm 41. So it was, oh, wow. yeah, it was in 2009, September okay. 29th, 2009. And, uh, and that's pretty life changing. It's altering. I mean, it's everything changing. Yeah. yeah. My friend texted me, my friend who's in a 12 step program, she texted me from the airport when I was going to rehab. And I was like, I'm scared. I'm going to rehab. And she's like, don't worry. The only thing that changes is everything. I'm like, what? that's weird. <laughs> You're like, she's that like, doesn't make and sense. And she's like, you earned your seat. I'm like, what's she talking about? <laughs> I'm like trying to get on the plane sober. Like I'm just trying yeah. to like make it yeah. through this flight right. without drinking so I don't show up drunk. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be that person. <laughs> right. Pride. Pride. <laughs> Got you. Wow. And everything changed. Yeah. Everything. Everything. Every single thing. Was it Was it quick? Was it slow? Was it painful? Was it? What was your experience? Yeah, getting sober. Yeah, what was your experience? And then, like, when did you get? It sounded like when we went to the beginning of the conversation. Like five years was when you started to tackle some of this childhood stuff. Yeah, but like, what was the initial experience like for you? Yeah, yeah. Well, there was definitely lower hanging fruit. Shame was, you know, five years in. It was anxiety yeah. at first. I still had. So now in rehab, they took me off the clonopin and obviously alcohol. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I came out just like this brain that was like firing all over the place, and like the synapses weren't working. And it was just like one, it was a lot of anxiety. Yeah. And then I didn't know, have any skills on how to deal with it. Um, so I became really interested in meditating. And anything mm. anyone would tell me, power of now. Yeah. I became really interested in like learning how to be power okay in my skin because I was so um, freaked out. Right. And But it really was like I had gotten um, – I mean maybe it's possible to live in more fear than I was living in. But like it was so intense, the amount of fear that I was living in on a daily basis, that it was like I hit a trampoline at my bottom and then I came out the other side. Like – can we swear? Yeah. Fuck fear was my motto. Whoa. Yeah. It was, it was fuck okay. fear. Yeah. And it, anytime anything scared me, I was like, it doesn't matter. I have to do it. And so I did a lot of, I was just, I'd be like, you know, in recovery meetings, like, like yeah. whatever. Okay. I was like, it doesn't matter. Like I have to do it. it whether it was do like it. Yeah. asking someone out, going for a job interview, um, leaving the house. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> like yeah. any, anything. I mean, I didn't do anything sober at the end, like laundry, you know? Yeah. So it was, right. it, it was, it doesn't matter if I'm a, and then I like getting back on the freeway, learning how to overcome my freeway phobia. Mm-hmm. Like right. all of that, it was like there's no excuses. It's it's fear, fear to no. It's matter. like learning everything over again, right? From like this newfound place way of being. What what drove that for you? Like you were so anxiety ridden, so scared, had so much shame, hurt, pain, like maybe even guilt associated with the multiple series of events, things that had happened to you, and then you go through all of this getting out of sobriety and you're like this new motto is like fuck fear like 
or what the fuck, do whatever it takes. And like, you're just taking yourself on over and over and over again. Like what, what was anchoring you in that ability to take yourself on again and again and again? Like, was it living from a place of vision or was it like a level of commitment that you had just reached? Like what was driving that? Because I think that would inspire people to take themselves on. Yeah, I part of it was because of how dark it got. Okay. But I just made a commitment to myself that no matter what, I was going towards the light. One day at a time, I was going to keep doing. Uh-huh. But my life was so small that I was like, "I it, this is not me. Like, I just knew I was meant for more. So I'm like, no, I'm going to keep doing all this stuff and expand. You know, courage became like my motto, right? Right. Yeah. Um, but then another thing is, is that I, um, I started to believe in God. You know, like, I mean, it was what? really faith was like a big... Yeah, I was doing this. Like my recovery friends were like, if you believed in God, it would be helpful. And I'm like, that's okay. What about the tooth fairy? You know, like, I'm yeah. like, that sounds lame. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but I was willing to do, I, I mean, I knew that moment I looked in the mirror and I was dying and I knew I was dying. That made me so desperate to open my mind to like listen to what other people were, who had what I wanted were doing. People who yeah. had sobriety and they looked like they were happy. I was like, what did you do? Just right. like if I wanted to be any career, I would go for somebody in that career and ask them what they did, like a mentor. Right. And so they said they had this faith. And I was like, all right. And so I started taking action and my faith started developing. Um, and then I noticed that um, – and, you know, I was the stats background. So I was very heady about stuff at first. Mm-hmm. And, right. and so I got very – like I learned all about the nervous system. I learned all about my nerves and how they were wired and rewiring the brain and got really into that mm-hmm. and like learned about like if I – when I breathe, I'm turning on my parasympathetic nervous system, which means yeah. my fight or flight's being turned off. When I count, I'm bringing the attention out of my amygdala and into my prefrontal cortex. So I'm literally changing where my mind is focused. If I'm having an anxious thought, I learned how I practice meditating so then I had the ability to take my mind off of those thoughts that weren't working for me and bring them somewhere else so that when I was driving, I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm going to crash. Like that thought would come, right? Yeah. The PTSD. And then I'd be like, the steering wheel feels hard. Okay, let's roll the window down. Oh, there's fresh air. Okay, we're driving. Yeah, I noticed I was afraid and we're going to keep going. And then my foot's on the gas pedal. (laughs) And I would just narrate what was actually happening in the moment. And part of what was key for that was I listened to Power of Now on audiobooks for about yeah. 20 minutes every morning because I, I was like, I need it fresh in my head. Plus, it's so dense. I was like, oh, I was like ADHD yeah. when I got sober. I'm like, what? This is deep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm used to math books and like, fit, like I, it's not about Einstein. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I listened to Power of Now for like 20 minutes every morning and that was my practice. And then I was able to meditate for like two minutes and that was like crazy. I was like, okay. M- my eyes would open. I was like, ooh. And then I would meditate for three minutes and then four minutes and then five minutes. And so I slowly worked my way up to um, learning how to have peace, mm-hmm. like on demand and like what to do, like just to the the awareness to know when my thoughts weren't working for me. Right. And once I noticed that I'm feeling anxious, just knowing, knowing, literally knowing, oh, and I would say this, reframe, oh, adrenaline and cortisol are in my system right now. Uh-huh. And that thought right there frees me because I'm no longer thinking about what's scaring me. So now I'm in the moment. And I switched majors, by the way, in college to avoid public speaking. And then I learned in sobriety that I'm actually a speaker. <laughs> yeah. Because when I, because now God's That's the most funny. important thing in my life. Yeah. Right. right. Interesting how yeah. it's right. And when I speak, I feel God. Mm-hmm. Like when I when I'm when I'm public speaking. Okay. So I was like, oh, this is my calling. 
What? Mm-hmm. I never would have guessed that. And so when I speak, though, when I go to speak, I still get really nervous, but it's not fear yeah. because I will literally say to myself, oh, this is courage. Courage mm-hmm. is here. Awesome. Oh, good. I have – I'm nervous. I get nervous when I'm not nervous. I'm not nervous. I – I um. You're excited. Well, I, I I feel confused when I'm not nervous because that's right. energy. Right. right. And I'm like, well, this is going to be flat if I don't have any energy in my body. I want that adrenaline and cortisol. Yeah. And so I will let my heart will be beating really fast. And I used to think panic, panic. Oh, my God, I'm going to die. Now my heart will be beating really fast because I'm still a human who has right. the same nervous system, right? right? But I'll be like, oh, cool. Energy's coming here. Whoa, my heart's going wild. This is going to be good. All yeah. right. I'm ready to go. And you yeah. just make that mental shift. I literally think that. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's no room to be thinking. Um, That's incredible. I talk myself through it. Yeah. And it's just, it's very different. It's where is my attention? Is it excitement or is it anxiety? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, amazing. I was still having anxiety attacks for two years. I was like yeah. flying to India. I was like, someone needs to help me out. <laughs> and that's why I teach people now how to overcome anxiety and right. I'm a coach and it's because I know how, I know how to get out and I know yeah. what hell it is to be in there. That's powerful. It is. That's wow. extremely powerful and very valuable. Damn. And I can tell like how much <laughs> it, it's almost like you took like a like maniac on a mission approach to getting grounded and overcoming all of this stuff that was plaguing you. So like getting into the trauma, like what, what did you find that you needed to do? I mean, I've heard, I've heard people say like the only way out is through. Yep. So like, how do you create an environment that's safe enough for someone to go out, you know, like, like, and to evoke it out of someone? Because for many people, it's not even safe to talk about, to acknowledge, to bring up. And, you know, you shared earlier that you just would drink and move on, drink and move on. Move on, right? Yeah. It's not really moving on. It's, yeah. it's bearing down. Yeah. yeah. Stuffing. Save that for later. Let's yeah. I'll yeah. do with that at a later like day. Never taking the trash out at your house and yeah. just putting it in a closet. It doesn't really go away. It yeah. just, it actually and then it starts rotting. to smell. Yeah. 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 Thanks. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, I spaced out for a second. <laughs> so what what have you found that's helped you get past the trauma? Like, what have you found to help you get free from those limiting beliefs that were really created like early on, which may have like had a pretty dramatic impact and effect on the way that you drank and coped and felt like from your teenage years on. Yeah. So one thing I heard you say earlier actually is that it's not, some people might feel that it's not safe to talk about it. And I yeah. would actually say that it's not safe to not talk about it. I don't know if that's too many double negatives, but if you have a secret inside you, like what you said earlier, uh, we're as sick as our secrets. So whatever we're not talking about, shame needs silence to to stay shut. And shame is toxic. And if we don't talk about things, whatever it is, I mean, find one person you could trust, whether it's a a friend, a parent, a coach, pay someone, you know, like get help. And uh, so, yeah, it's important to talk about it. I did this wild – uh, primal therapy class. Yeah. And I was about five years sober. Okay. Where I was uh, literally in a padded basement with a bunch of other uh, spiritual warriors, and we were beating the crap out of the wall on our inner child, had drawn pictures of her parents. Yeah. And loud techno was blasting. I, I mean, heard, it was a I've scene, and I like had a lead pipe, and I was going for it. And like, I mean, I was bleeding, and it yeah. was just like, ah! Yeah. I had no idea that there was so much rage. That rage was like in me. And the way I see it, it's like before I released the rage, I didn't have access to the shame. 
It was okay. underneath. So I needed to release the rage. And when I was releasing the rage, like um, on dad day, there was an there, I was surprised that I, I didn't know I was so angry at my dad about this. And um, the teacher was like, hit the wall. And I was like, I don't feel it. And she's like, you might when you start. So I just started hitting the wall. And, you know, my dad didn't know that I was abused as a kid. I didn't tell anyone. It, mm-hmm. and obviously, it wasn't him, you know, but he didn't know about it. But still, mm-hmm. the there was part that something living – there was rage living inside me that my protectors didn't protect me even though they didn't know. Right. And so I – next thing I know, I'm going crazy on this wall. I'm bleeding. It's a different day. I'm bleeding again like – like, you didn't help me. You didn't protect me. You motherfucker. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And then, um, yeah. Yeah. And so it was pretty wild how angry I was and I didn't know. So I released the anger. And then I, um, I mean, guys, there's no way other to say this than whatever you don't feel. It doesn't go away. It's actually inside of you. Just like the garbage in the, in yeah. the closet. Like, yeah. you, you can close it. But it's yeah. actually still there. Like, emotional healing is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I cried for four months afterwards. Wow. After that. I had about four months worth of tears that hadn't been expressed before. And it was a heavy grieving process, grieving what happened, what didn't happen, what I got, what I didn't get. And uh, it was the inner child stuff. Like I never wanted to hear the word God before. I mean, I'm the statistician, right? There's no God. There is no inner child. Like, fuck you very much. (laughs) (laughs) And, but it's very, what I found was very real. What I found was there there was a lot of, um, and the way to get through the trauma was to actually um, love myself. That's, that's when I, that's why when you said Uh. that, I was like, I'm surprised it's coming to my mind because it, I would judge it as arrogant, but it's actually, um, it, it's actually I yeah I needed to grieve I needed to to express those tears in order to get free right but that was all on top of my heart you know and so I'm writing a book right now I'm almost finished with it it's called Elephant, elephant. because I didn't know that there was an elephant in the room of my life <sighs> an elephant in like over my right. heart blocking yeah. me it was the yeah. childhood sexual trauma Sitting and then on the your su- chest. yeah the subsequent uh, revictimization yeah. and so until I actually addressed what was blocking my life and right. got rid of the the rage and got underneath the anxiety yeah. was rage. Underneath the rage was shame. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to cry. And one of the beautiful things that happened during that grieving process, I mean, I intentionally did it. I was reading books and talking. I was going into it. Yeah. Um, and one, and this is all in the rice fields in Indonesia. I like, <laughs> um, it's incredible. And yeah. one of the beautiful things that was happening is while I was crying about, um, something that my mom did that was really heartbreaking for me, uh, something shifted while I was crying about that. And I start, started to think about what might've happened to her. Mm. And next thing I know, I'm, cr- I'm imagining my mom as a little girl and I'm crying about, well, what happened to her? What didn't happen? What did she mm-hmm. not get? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, maybe this yeah. is the same thing that happened to her. And then I start thinking, then something shifted again. It was like this energy shifted. And then I'm thinking about my mom's mom mm-hmm. and I'm grieving for her. And then I'm thinking about like all the ancestors. Then I'm thinking about all alcoholic families and the, the the dysfunction and the abuse and all like we do what we know Oof. and I'm next thing I know it feels like and it really I was just sitting there on the floor and it was beautiful yeah. grief grief is so rich like it is so it's... consuming and rich and I was like it was like the pain of the world was barreling through my body and I was like oh wow. it's it's beautiful <laughs> yeah it is yeah and on the other side of that is like freedom. It's almost like savasana <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's opening the heart to compassion. You mm. know, it's getting past my pain and being able to be with others' pain so I can actually be, you know, own my humanity and mm-hmm. then I can, I can accept yours. I couldn't accept myself until I accepted all my pain mm-hmm. and, and, and met it. Yeah. 
with love, which is just pure awareness. It's mm-hmm. just presence, acceptance. And because I love myself, now I can love you and I can accept you. I couldn't do that before. Right. Because I wasn't accepting myself. That's powerful. Damn. That takes us like full circle. Whew. This so, has been incredible. So really quickly, the commitment that I made at five years sober is different than the fuck theory. It was I will no longer reject or abandon myself because uh, that's the shame piece that I saw. And so yeah. that's been the life since five for yeah. the last three years yeah. is okay. what does it look like when I don't reject and abandon myself? Yeah, that's a, that's a great motto and mantra to have. And it's, it's had incredible. you committed to creating freedom. And now you're doing that. Do you guys relate to this stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm like, like I'm, I feel you, girl. I'm getting hit what a I'm little saying? bit. Like, yeah. I just want to go home and cry. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's all just cry. Yeah. No, like, thank oh, you bye. so much. Yeah. Like, we're, we're running out of time, but this has been, yeah. F- like, first of all, thank you for your vulnerability mm-hmm. and just showing up the way that you, you show up, just being yeah. you. This has been an incredible podcast. And I think for those that are listening, there's a lot of value yeah. that you brought to the table. That being said, um, before we end, you have like little nuggets of gold deep down within your your head that you would love to just give our listeners right now, right? Yeah, yeah, you do. Maybe someone struggling, maybe someone who doesn't hurting, who's not getting it, who who could hear a message right now. What What would your message be? Your little message in a bottle to the sick and suffering, to the someone who is still drinking. Yeah, or or, or trying just hurting, yeah, and anxious, painful. Maybe not even alcoholic. Yeah, mm. maybe just maybe some childhood trauma. It's possible to come through. Mm-hmm. It's possible. It, yeah. The things that I think that um, are important are to understand your nervous system, just like what I said on this podcast. Just to know that if you breathe or you count. You are you are you are calming yourself down. That mm-hmm. knowledge is helpful. Feeling your feelings, like bringing, like noticing them, is helpful. Because I look at addiction as compulsively not feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do anything not to feel. So if I'm willing to feel, I have a chance. And sobriety is all about feeling. <laughs> <laughs> and then trusting your gut. You know, I've never regretted listening to my gut. I've only regretted not listening to my gut. And so I think if you're if you're really struggling, I mean, the message is hope, right? Like if somebody who I mean, I couldn't stop drinking in the morning or leave and not, you know, I was afraid to leave the house. I couldn't stop getting sexually assaulted. You know, like that was my life. That was all I knew. Everything just got worse and worse and worse. And then it's like then it just goes the other direction. Like it's possible. It's totally possible to radically transform and rewire your brain and have a completely different experience of life. I mean, that's why my company is called Richer Experiences. It's like, whoa, because I was living like, you know, like really, really small with all I was numbing out all the feelings. You can't selectively numb. You're numbing out everything. When you start to open up, you get the full experience of life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, faith helped. Faith helps. Oh, oh yes. I know. The last thing I'll say, because I know I'm just talking like crazy. Um, there you go. Oh, the comments. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not even looking. Hey, hey guys. guys. <laughs> um, pray. Pray. Even if that's controversial and the G word God freaks you out, pray. You can just try right now. Let's all take a minute. And let's close our eyes. Let's take a deep inhale through the nose. Exhale. You watching, do this too. Go ahead. No one's looking. Take another inhale through the nose. Exhale. Now just say in your mind, like, please help me. Don't worry who you're saying it to or if you're saying it to anyone other than yourself. Just say, I need help. Please give me help. Show me what to do. 
And take another inhale. As you exhale, open your eyes. No one will know if you're praying, guys, or if you're, you're asking for help in your head. Just ask for help. Wow. Thank you. Damn. Where can they find you? Yeah. Where can everyone find you? Yeah. Everyone's going to want to find you. So just, <laughs> yeah. just be aware that you're going to get flooded with inbox messages as soon yeah. as you drop. So where can they find you? You guys are so good at this. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are an amazing team. Uh, I'm at richerexperiences.com. I'm richerexperiences on Instagram, youtube.com slash richerexperiences. Cool. Or Kirsten Johnson on Facebook or Facebook slash Richer Experiences. Nice. Boom. I have some free meditations on my website too, Richer Experiences, if you've never meditated before. And a lot of – I have a whole playlist on YouTube on shame, addiction, recovery, anxiety. Um, you can get over anxiety, guys. I'm not special. I'm just some girl who was freaked out who learned how not to be. Well, wow. you're special. Yeah, you We are. all are. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Kirsten. Thank you guys for, for watching and listening. This has been – Another episode, wonderful episode <laughs> of the Sober Life Audio, Audio Experience. Deuces. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today. Today's episode is sponsored by Organifi, the world's best superfoods company. Visit Organifi.com and use coupon code SOBERLIFE at checkout for 15% off your entire order.